full of hope and passion and belief that in 2020 we can be a generation who are not passive about injustice. We don't just walk by and let it happen. Neither are we violent about it. Instead, we are going to find this third way where we stand up, we are resistant, we are rebellious, we are mischievous. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the Together podcast, a conversation about faith, justice, and how to change the world. On today's episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So last year, we saw one of the biggest global youth movements in history take place with the climate strikes. Young people around the world passionately united together to demand justice for those living in poverty who are being affected by the climate emergency the most. So in 2020, we are continuing to stand with them and we want you to as well. If we're going to see the systematic change needed to stop the climate crisis, we'll need to be led by the spirit with courage and wisdom. To get us fired up for the year, Dot Tyler breaks down one of her favourite books, Jesus and Nonviolence by Walter Wink. Listen in and be inspired by the rebellious side of Jesus they forget to mention in Sunday school. I was reading a book the other day and it had some content in it by a guy called Walter Wink. And he, as it turns out, is this massive hero of the faith and wrote about a passage in Matthew 5, which for years I had understood one way. And he has helped me see it with a lens that is completely different. Let me read you the passage. So... Matthew chapter 5 starts at verse 38. It says, You've heard what it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. So this is not a new passage. I'd heard it for years and years and years. I'd heard it in Sunday school. And the takeaway I'd really understood from it is basically be like a really Christian nice doormat. Um, If somebody's nasty to you, if they slap you on one cheek, just give them the other one. Like, let them be doubly nasty to you. Walter Wink has a really um, fascinating way of thinking about this. And thinking about it within a context of Jesus here is not asking people to be passive. Jesus is calling to people to a response to injustice, greed and conflict. The gospel doesn't teach us non-resistance to evil. It doesn't teach us to be passive about it. Jesus is really passionate that we resist that but without violence. The Greek word translated resist in Matthew 5 here actually means to literally stand against. The the image that comes to mind when I think of that is like that Braveheart moment when the army's coming towards him and Braveheart's there with the blue like handprint on his face, standing there, standing firm against this torrent that's about to befall them. Jesus is urging people, don't be passive, but also don't be violent. Perhaps instead of both of those, there is a third way, one that is both assertive and non-violent. Let me explain what I mean. So in that passage, there are three images here in this passage that talk about this non-resistant way of doing things. And the first one is this idea of turning the other cheek. Now, it's hard for us to understand this because it's not culturally a norm for us to go around hitting one another. At that time... Hitting in that way was normal. Masters would use it as a way to remind people of their position and their power. 
What's important to think about is in this relationship, what we're talking about is a master to a slave. Now, a master would always, always use the back of their hand to hit somebody. So it would always strike the left cheek. And we hear that and go, oh, that's terrible. And it was, it was terrible. It was intended to insult, to humiliate, to degrade. It was never, ever administered to an equal, but to an inferior. So masters backhanded slaves. At the time, husbands would have backhanded wives. The point of the blow was to force someone who was out of line back into place. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, if anyone strikes you, these people are used to being degraded like this. He's saying to them, if anyone strikes you like this, refuse to accept this kind of treatment. If they backhand you, turn the other cheek. Now imagine what's happening there. By turning the cheek, the servant, the slave, the person being given this injustice, makes it impossible for the master to use the backhand again. His nose is literally in the way. The master in this moment is forced to either walk away and reduce his moment of inferiority given, or he has to use his fist onto the right cheek. And this is only ever done to equals. When you think about that, that is extraordinary. This is an act of defiance that renders the master incapable of asserting dominance in the relationship. Why? Because you have turned the other cheek. The inferior person is saying, I am a human being. And in my humanness, I refuse to be humiliated any longer. And I force you either to treat me as an equal or to walk away and acknowledge your injustice. This is so revolutionary and we we will never really grasp this. But this is Jesus saying there is a way that is neither passive nor violent, but this third way that stands against injustice, shows it for what it is and says we are becoming more human. Jesus says to people effectively stand up for yourselves defy your masters. We don't talk about a Jesus that says that very often. Assert your humanity, but also don't answer the oppressor in kind. He doesn't say hit them back. Neither does he say just fall down and lie on the floor. He says show the injustice for what it is and choose to be more human. The second illustration in there is where Jesus says if somebody asks for your robe, give them your coat as well. Again, We don't really have this context because people don't, you know, nobody's asked me for my rope, thank goodness. But a bit of context here. So a creditor's taken a poor man to court over an unpaid loan. So basically somebody is in debt to somebody else. Only the poorest of the poor would be subjected to this kind of treatment. It would have been culturally humiliating to be in this position. And Deuteronomy, one of the laws of the land, said that if somebody was in debt to you, you could take their long outer robe as a promise that they would repay their debt. Jesus, really interestingly, he loves the law and he adores the law, but he also shows where the law has become something that God never intended it to be. God never intended the law to make people living in poverty more humiliated. 
Jesus instead counsels them and he says, if somebody asks for your coat, give them your robe as well. This would mean literally stripping off all of their clothing and marching out of court stark naked. I mean, (laughs) I think about that and I think that's embarrassing. But let me help us understand a little bit. So nakedness was taboo in Judaism. And we're in our society, if I'm naked, like that's everybody's worst nightmare, isn't it? You're stood in front of the whole school and you're about to do a song in the school play and you found out that you're naked and the shame of that is on you. In the culture at the time, actually, it was the reverse. To look upon somebody who was naked, the shame was on the person looking, not the person that was naked. So it's completely the opposite way round. And so when Jesus says, if they ask for your coat, give them your cloak as well, therefore making you completely naked, the debtor, the person who is being given this injustice, has actually turned this around completely, brought shame on the creditor, on the person making this injustice happen. And imagine, I mean, just in your mind's eye, imagine the embarrassment that that person is feeling. There stands somebody covered in shame because of what they're doing to that person living in poverty because in one hand he's got the person's coat and in the other hand he's got his robe the tables have been completely turned the person who has been humiliated turns around and says you want my robe here take everything now you have got everything I have except my body is that what you'll take next it's almost this cheeky but assertive challenge of injustice that is mischievous but also very very public can you imagine the debtor leaving court naked his friends and his neighbors would be totally aghast imagine eastenders and it's most like oh my gosh this is terrible made in chelsea like ah, everybody's freaking out That's the kind of reaction that this would have had. And almost as though the whole community would walk with this man or woman who was naked, probably a man, and this growing procession, which actually now resembles some sort of victory parade because the person that was being made to be humiliated has turned this around and said, I will not stand for injustice like this. I don't need to be passive and I don't need to be violent, but I can stand against something that tries to take my humanity. By refusing to be awed by somebody else's power, the powerless have courage to seize initiative, even where structural change is not possible. And we look at that, don't we? We see loads of places where structural change needs to happen and it feels impossible But we read the story and the call of Jesus and we go, what does it mean and what does it look like for people that feel powerless to have courage to take initiative? We don't have to accept laws as they stand. We can reveal them for where they have become unjust. The third illustration that Walter Wink talks about is this idea of going the second mile. So I always read this and thought, this means I need to be the nicest person in the whole world. I've just got to bend over backwards for people. 
Now, I think Jesus calls us to be brilliant brothers and sisters to one another, but I don't believe Jesus calls us to be nice. And I don't believe he calls us to some sort of passive recipient of burden. Let me again do a bit of context. So what we need to understand in this passage is that this would be talking about a person in the military, a soldier, asking somebody, likely somebody more inferior to them, often somebody living in poverty, to carry their backpack for them. Now, within a military code of the time, you were allowed to do that. You were allowed to pick any person who was of a lower rank to you and they would have to carry your pack for one mile. But after one mile, they had to stop. That was the rule. And Jesus tells them, well, don't just carry it one mile. Carry it a second mile. Does this not go to the extreme of actually aiding the enemy? Are we not helping them doubly by carrying it a second mile? So normally soldiers would have to coerce people to carry their packs. But this Jew does it so cheerfully and will not stop. It is almost, it's hard for us to understand, but it's like the Jewish person carrying the pack is insulting the legionnaire's strength by saying, I will carry it a second mile. Almost as if to say, because you can't. Also because the reality is, if that legionnaire's seniors knew that that happened, that legionnaire would be disciplined for having had that person carry it for a second mile. What that Jewish person has done in that moment has taken back the power of choice. They've thrown the soldier off balance by saying, actually, you know what? You can't predict that I'm going to do this, but I'm going to carry it a second mile. And again, in your minds, imagine it with me. So they've done the first mile and the Jewish man just keeps walking with the pack. And the legionnaire, I just have a really hilarious image of the legionnaire going, put it down, please, please put it down. I need you to put it down now, please. Oh, would you put it down? Put it down. I love it. I love the thought of it because it's so ridiculous. And what the Jewish person there is doing is showing that that mistreatment of power that says that you can just make somebody do something because it's more convenient for you, the injustice of treating human beings like that, he makes it ridiculous. He makes it funny. Jesus doesn't encourage people to walk a second mile just to build up some sort of goodwill or to be nice people. He asks them to do it because this is a way to fight an injustice of equality in a way that, again, is not passive, it's not violent, but it is this third way that resists injustice. This third way is, it's not submission, it's not assault, it's not fight or flight. It is a way that ensures your human dignity. And I really love that idea that as we become more human... On either side of that story, we get to know more of Jesus. So imagine what it's like when the person carrying the second pack becomes more human because they take that power imbalance and they take the power back. But also imagine what it must be like for the legionnaire to be faced with such a visual illustration of that injustice. 
And I like to think that in that moment, perhaps the legionnaire turns around and goes, you know what, you're right. And in that moment of being faced with the injustice that he was pursuing, he becomes more human and says, no, I don't want to do that anymore. Same with the person that takes the cloak, being faced with the absurdity of somebody standing naked in front of him and the shame being there is going, I'm faced with my own injustice and I hate it and I become more human. I don't know if the reality of why that hits me so much is because often I am the person who inadvertently, just because of where I am born or where I shop, is the person in the story who is maybe more like the legionnaire or the creditor and being faced with my own pursuit of justice or not justice when I see something become more like Jesus, I become more human. Greta Thunberg is one of my personal favourite people. I have never met her. One day maybe I will. But she interestingly said this. We can no longer save the world by playing by the rules because the rules have to be changed. Everything needs to change and it has to start today. So everyone out there, it is time to rebel. This is Greta, who is 16 years old, who started the youth climate strikes all over the world. She's talking about the climate crisis. But I also believe that there's something of Jesus in her that is saying, so everyone out there, it is time to rebel. So we are full of hope and passion and belief that in 2020 we can be a generation who are not passive about injustice. We don't just walk by and let it happen. Neither are we violent about it. Instead, we are going to find this third way where we stand up, we are resistant, we are rebellious, we are mischievous. Why? Because we believe that as we follow Jesus, we follow him towards people living in poverty. We follow him as he moves towards restoring creation. And as we follow him, we see the beauty of what he's doing. I am full of hope. We are full of hope for what you can do. And whether that is something that in 2020 is going to look massive or whether that's something that is going to look like a habit of justice in your life, let's not think small about your ability to join the story of God. Please think big because God thinks big things about you. And so as we go into 2020, and I don't know what your resolutions are, I would love to pray for us that we would be bold and courageous, that we'd find the third way and that we'd follow Jesus. So let me do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your story. Thank you that you call us to be people who see injustice and stand against it who see people being robbed of their humanity and we say, absolutely not in the name of Jesus. God, we pray that this year of 2020 would see a young generation continue to rise up, to speak up, to take courage, to be bold, to say what maybe other people are afraid to say. Why? Because we are passionately following our Jesus, who we love and adore. And so, God, I pray for everybody listening to this, Lord God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, give us deep passion for your word. And, Lord God, that we would come to the end of 2020 and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in us. In your holy name. Amen. Good.
Hi, it's Kat here. I hope you enjoy that from Dot. A really inspiring and challenging message for us to take into the new year. If you want to join us with all that we're doing in 2020, then make sure you stay in touch. We'll be back for another episode on the 20th of January, where we'll be hearing from William Adiwasi, an entrepreneur and a founder of Vita London, the fashion brand that's changing lives. For that and more, make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at We Are Tear Fund.